Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Living in community becomes increasingly difficult as we find more ways to draw lines and build walls between people and even struggle to find peace within our own lives. God has called us to be unified in Christ and to exist peacefully with those around us. Let's listen to God's voice and learn what it takes to be peacemakers. Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Everybody good? Let me hear you out there. Excited to be in the house of God today. Hey, uh, my name is Matt. I get to be one of the pastors here at Vintage. And if today's your first Sunday, we realize you could be a lot of other places today. And our prayer is that you walk away feeling like you've really encountered God. You don't need to remember my name. You don't need to remember the songs we did or anything like that. But if you can walk away feeling like, hey, man, those people loved me and I met with God. That's what matters. Amen, church. Um, and so that's our hope. You come at, there, it's a busy season around our church. We are in the middle, as you heard Jasmine mention, our Thanksgiving initiative. Make sure you're a part of this. On that Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we will meet here and we will send hundreds of people out to hundreds of homes all across our county as we partner once again with schools all over the area to hand deliver a Thanksgiving meal. So make sure you yeah, celebrate that. And you, you have to know you're doing more than giving somebody some food. When you, step in, when, you ha- when you step in those people's home, people that have felt overlooked and forgotten, people that feel like that, that because of their circumstance or maybe because of the home they live in or the situation that they're in, that people would rather just avoid them and people have avoided them. When we pause for just a night and to step into that home and with dignity, look in people's eyes and say, we have not forgotten you, we are here. And this is not to get people to come to our church. This is just people to let them know that we love them. That's our only agenda. So make sure that you're a part of that. Just also one more quick thing before we dive into the word. Uh, Tonight we were supposed to have a baptism service, um, but because of some various logistic things, we have actually moved that. Um, And so if uh, you are wanting to get baptized or planning to get baptized, the next opportunity for you to do that will be the weekend before Christmas. And all three of our gatherings that weekend, we're going to offer baptism during as a part of the service. And so if you've never done that, and if you don't, baptism, it it does not save you. It's It's a declaration. It's a symbolic gesture reminding yourself and your friends and family that who you were is no longer who you are. That you've been buried with Christ and raised to new life, and it's just a public gesture to let your friends and family know who, you, who is Lord of your life and to remind yourself of what God has done in you. So you can go to the app, and you can sign up for that, and it's going to be an awesome weekend before Christmas in all three of our gatherings. Uh, so, uh, you ready to have some fun? Well, you ain't going to do it here, so just get ready. Uh, have you ever had anybody tell you you have a bad attitude? I'm just watching the room. Some people are like, if you could have heard him in the car on the way here. But you know what's weird is when somebody asks if you have a bad attitude, you immediately get a bad attitude. Come on. Like, you know that question like, why do you have such an attitude? I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, come on, like, you, like every, it's funny. I'm watching everybody around the room be like, ha! It's funny, like, even if, like, sometimes, like, you, you don't even realize, like, how you're responding. Like, you're riding down in the car, and your wife says something to you, and you say something, and she says, why do you have such an attitude? And you respond, I don't. Just me? 
It's weird how just that question alone elicits like a negative response. And like, like you have a, like somebody says, why do you have a bad attitude? Or like I, growing up, like my mama used to say this to me all the time. Matthew Wesley, full name. Mama says full name, look out. Something bad is, but come on, testify somebody. Something bad is about that. Whenever your mama full names you, you know like, oh Lord, let's run and hide. <laughs> she say, Matthew Wesley, you need an attitude check. Again, just me. Nobody's ever had their mama say that to them. Like, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's, it's a good question because um, attitude really does affect everything. Come on. Like, the disposition of your attitude. It doesn't matter what's happening around your life. That good things can even be happening. But attitude is everything. Because attitude shapes perspective. And perspective shapes response. And so, like, if our attitude is off kilter, then our actions will not be God-honoring. If it, it's all about like attitude and it's like, but you know, and, and, and can I just be honest with you? Like, I think as a culture, we need an attitude check. I just feel like we do. I think as a culture, we need an attitude check. And I think just constantly we need that. And because attitude affects how we perceive everything. That even when we're doing some of the right things and even when we're going and practicing even like spiritual disciplines, when we're doing it with the wrong attitude, we don't get the benefit that God wants us to have from it. Like some of y'all show up every, every, every Sunday with a bad attitude at church and you wonder why you ain't getting nothing out of it. Like it matters. Because, like, the, the position of your attitude when you're walking through something is really, really going to impact what you take away from that situation. And I think that that's why Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount the way he did. If you go to Matthew chapter 5 and just start reading through Matthew chapter 5 over the next several chapters, Jesus preaches his, his longest and most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, where he goes up on this mountain and just begins to teach and, and, like, it's, it's, he teaches, it's, it's one sermon, like, hitting all kinds of different subjects. Everything from money to divorce to, like, like all, he's just all over the gamut teaching God's word. But if, what, if you go there and read that passage, what you will notice is, before he begins preaching, he gives an attitude check. And what he begins that sermon with was, was describing the different type of attitude dispositions that bring about blessing in our lives. It's funny that the attitude and blessing are very connected. So if you don't feel blessed, maybe you got a bad attitude. Um, because he says stuff like, blessed are the poor in spirit. And like he, he says, blessed are, are the people with this attitude, and this is what happens. Blessed are these people. And if you go through and read those attitudes, man, it's convicting. Because you start laying your attitude versus the attitudes that Jesus describes, the attitudes that bring about blessing. And, you want, and then you begin to realize, like, well, that's why I don't feel blessed. It's not because like, there's not blessing around my life. It's because my attitude is really out of whack. But there's one attitude that, that Jesus talks about in that passage that has just jumped off the scriptures in my life lately, and I've been wrestling with it. And if I'm going to wrestle with it, y'all got to wrestle with it too, okay? Uh, let's read it. Go to Matthew chapter 5, pick up with verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That if we believe, we love that title, children of God, don't we? 
because we love the all that that like means for us. Because as children of God, that means we're heirs of God and we get to experience all his goodness and all. But Jesus says, like, one of the hallmarks, one of the, the attitudes of the people who call themselves children of God is they are peacemakers. That people who claim to follow Jesus, people who claim to have God as priority in their lives, the way they go about life creates more peace in the world they live in. Like, if we are following God and honoring God and living the way God calls us to live, we're doing it with an attitude that leads to actions in our world that makes it more peaceful. And can I just submit to you, that's not us. As a culture and as a people for the most part. Like, I started wrestling with that, okay, God, like, just personally. I call myself your child, I claim to believe in you, I read your word, I follow, but with the way that I live my life, do I create more chaos or do I make more peace? Is the way that I'm living from conversation to conversation, from Facebook post to Facebook post, is it creating more peace or is it creating more chaos? And you know what I've discovered is we're more pot stirrer than peacemaker. I told y'all today's going to be fun. Come on, like I, th- I feel like as a culture, as a people, we tend to stir the pot more than make the peace. Anybody agree with me? Come on, say amen. Like that's just kind of how we are because we, it, it, maybe more than any other time in my life, you know, I talked about last week, we talked about division in, in the church but I don't know that we've ever been more at odds with one another as a people than we are in today's climate. Just in general. And I think, if I'm honest, social media perpetuates it. Social media perpetuates the pot stirring. Sorry if I just spit on the front row. (laughs) Like, it just does. And now, like, this isn't a sermon against social media. I think social media, if le- it's just a tool. There's nothing wrong with social media. There's something wrong with us. Because we're leveraging these tools that God has allowed us to have, and we could leverage them for good. Social media can be a beautiful thing to leverage for God's glory and good. So social media ain't the problem. I hear people all the time, it's, oh, it's a social media's fault. No, it's not. It's you sitting behind that keyboard and engaging in things and letting yourself get caught up in stuff that stir the pot more than make the peace. And I started just kind of asking, my, wrestling with this my, myself, like, all right, God, am I more pot stirrer or peacemaker? And I just began to like examine my own, my own heart and my own conversations and, and think about even, even my own engagement in social media and things like that and, and started just kind of wrestling with that question. And you know what's crazy is the best way, if you're kind of wrestling with that, am I pot stirrer or peacemaker? I bet I could tell you if you just hand me your phone and let me flip through your Facebook feed. Because I think there you, you, you could discover it pretty quick. Come on. And I just think the world, the world can be a really ugly place. Let's not make it uglier. And I think what Jesus was saying, like, like blessed are the, are the peacemakers, the people who, who own the, the, the part they can play in making this chaotic world a more peaceful place. 
And, and, and I just want that to be us. I want the people of God, people who claim to follow Jesus, like I think it's our job, it's our responsibility to bring more peace to the world. And we can't do that when we're allowing ourselves to be more pot stirrer than peacemaker. We're doing too much of this and not enough of this. And what would it look like if, if we began to wrestle with this? This is, instead of reacting to the demands of culture, we started living out the commands of God. Amen. And started taking seriously the Beatitudes where Jesus said, blessed, oh, you want to be blessed? You want to be called a child of God? Then live your life and function as a peacemaker instead of a pot stirrer. And how we so often in this culture, we let ourselves be so, so thick, so thin-skinned and easily offended and feel like we just have to engage in every single thing that could possibly look like or seem like an attack or threaten something, us in some kind of way. And what we end up doing is just engaging in things that aren't worth engaging in. And instead of being a people that's known for perpetuating peace, we just keep stirring the pot. Don't you want to be different? Better question. Don't you believe God has called us to be different? Amen. Don't you believe that God has called us to be different? This is not just a concept that's isolated to that one passage. We're called to be peacemakers. Look at James chapter 3. Pick up with verse 13. James 3, start with verse 13. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Not many these days, it seems. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by good deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace and reap of harvest of righteousness. Anybody else read those words and just like feel a little bit convicted? It talks about pure and sincere and submissive and like peacemakers who sow peace. They reap this harvest of righteousness. Like, like God wants us to be peacemakers. Amen? Amen? Like I need us to buy into that. Because this is what I feel like. We're going to go through this whole series. And some people are just going to shut me down. I'm like, that preacher's crazy again. And I'm not trying to be a hippie. I'm trying to be Jesus. And he says, be a peacemaker. And so we're going to take a few weeks to kind of figure out... I, what does that really mean? Because if God has called us to live as peacemakers, we have to boil down to like, what did he really mean by that? And I think maybe one reason why we resist being peacemakers is because we misunderstand what that means. We have this image of what it means to be a peacemaker that's rooted in something other than God's word. And God's word has called us to be peacemakers. And, and if we're going to live that out, we've got to figure out what it means. And the first thing you have to understand is he's called us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. There's a difference. There's a difference between peacekeeper and peacemaker. 
Let me kind of just differentiate those for you. Peacekeepers fail to acknowledge and choose to ignore. We all know peacekeepers, right? They, who, who just ref- it's not that there isn't conflict that threatens peace in our homes, in our families, in our culture. It's, we feel like the best way to keep the peace or to make peace is just to pretend like it doesn't exist. Lift up the rug and sweep it under. The pain, the hurt, the frustration, the fact that she said that and he did that, like the best. See, here's the thing. Peacemakers don't avoid conflict. They know when and how to address it. We'll talk about that in just a second. And see, so many of us, we're not good peacemakers, but we're really good peacekeepers. We're good at pretending like we're okay. But it's peace by pretense. It's false. It's pretend. It's fake. It's not even real. Really, the fact is, we're not, you know, we talk to people, how you doing? I'm good. No, you're not. You liar. <laughs> we're heading into the holiday season where this is, a, this is where some of us will walk through the holidays like this. On eggshells. All during Thanksgiving and Christmas because you don't want to upset grandma, so you'll lose it again. <laughs> if I say the wrong thing, dad will cuss me out. And like, so it's, nobody's fighting, but there's, doesn't mean that there's peace. That there's things that are lying underneath the surface, and everybody is just internally in turmoil. But we're keeping the peace. At least we'll get through dinner without anybody losing their minds and throwing a turkey leg at somebody's face. But just because there's not open conflict doesn't mean that we're not internally in turmoil. I don't think that's what God's talking about. Because do you, you notice what in, in, in that passage I read from James, it says peacemakers who sow in peace. Like in other words, peace is something that just doesn't come natural. It's something you've got to work at. That there's always going to be conflicts that pop up that tend to threaten the peace that we're trying to experience or the peace that we have among the people that we encounter. See, the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker, peacekeepers fail to acknowledge and choose to ignore, but peacemakers address when necessary and engage with responsibility. Peacemakers address when necessary. First of all, peacemakers know what to address and what to let go. That's the hallmark of a peacemaker. A peacemaker knows what hills to die on, what battles are worth fighting, and the ones that aren't. See, there's times when it's necessary as a peacemaker to engage in things. Because sometimes peace is something that you're going to have to fight for, and you're going to have to embrace the conflict in order to, keep, to, to make the peace. Because there's going to be conflict that swirls up in your marriage and in your family and in your office and in your school and in every environment that you go. And if you're going to be a peacemaker, you got to know when to address it, when it's necessary to deal with it, to have a conversation. But you also have to engage with responsibility because you can address the right conflict in the wrong way. And it will just make it worse. And peacemakers have the discernment not only to know when to address it, but how to address it. And I think part of the problem that threats our peace right now is we don't know how to communicate with each other. Peace very rarely comes from a post. Amen. 
I don't know why we think that all these issues we're facing with, we need to duke it out on Facebook. It's stupid. Like, there are things that we're facing as a culture that the only way to overcome it is to look each other in the eye, in person, and with grace and patience, have a conversation. See each other's body language. Hear the inflection of our voice. There's things that we're going to have to actually physically talk about. Peace doesn't happen through emails and text messages. How many people have ever taken a text message or an email out of context? Everybody raise your hand. That is 100%. We've all done it. Come on. Every single one of us. And if you're going to be a peacemaker, you, you address when necessary and you engage with responsibility. You know when to address it and you let God show you how to address it. Let me read you some passage of scripture and just get ready, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. It says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Leave here today, go get that verse reference tattooed on your forehead so you can see it every single day. How timely a word is that? Come on, I'm going to read it again. May, I might read like 10 times. I may just read it and give an altar call and we'll go home. <laughs> 2 Timothy 2.23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone. Even those one who don't share your opinion. Amen. Able to teach and not resentful. And then look at this, opponents, those people who do disagree, those people who come at you. Like opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to, acknowledge, to a knowledge of the truth. Wow. What if we just lived those verses? Peacemakers know. And let me just read you a couple more. Look at Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. Proverbs 29, 11, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise know when not to post. Oh, sorry, that's not what I said. But the wise bring calm in the end. Like God, God's called us to be peacemakers, perpetuants of peace. Like the world should be a more peaceful place because we're in it. That when God gets a hold of our lives, and Jesus takes up residence in our heart. It does something to us. And it, it doesn't mean like, like we're going to uh, not have to face difficult things. It doesn't mean that we sweep things under the rug. But it means we fight for peace as a people. That's what we're called to be as peacemakers. But I don't, for me, a pe peacemaker doesn't come natural. Because I'm argumentative. Y'all laughing at? Like, I, I like to push back. I like to be right. And I have things in my life that are battling against my ability to be a peacemaker. And I'll bet you do too. Can I just give you mine? There are two things in my life that have come up often that have been enemies of peace in my own heart. Fear and ego. Now I know y'all are so much more holy than me 
and like, y'all don't have to deal with these. But what I've discovered is the two biggest enemies to, to me being a peacemaker and my own personal peace are fear and ego. Because you know what I've noticed is, is fear always elevates. When fear is in charge of your life, it always makes even small things look big. It makes even the small things that we experience seem like big things. It makes every single attack feel like a deadly threat. And I see so, I think so many of the times that we're engaging in the things that we're engaging in is because we're controlled by fear and we have this, we feel like we have to protect this thing and protect this idea and protect this position. And it's so driven by fear so that every single thing feels like an offense or an attack and we escalate these issues and when they seem to be bigger than they really are, we pounce. Am I making sense? Like so often the reason why I engage people and I push back is because of fear and insecurity from that fear and I feel like I have to just engage. And then like somebody will say something to me, it's like, what, what'd you say? And probably they didn't even really mean anything by it. Or you'll flip through and you'll read a post. And because out of fear, you feel like this, this, this obligation to pounce. And let me tell you something, man. When, as long as fear is in charge of your life, you'll continue to elevate things to matter that just don't matter. And I have to remind myself that, like, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid if this message makes you mad. Like, I don't have to. Hebrews 13, 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can mere mortals say to me? What can mere mortals post about me? Like, I don't have to be afraid. Because you know what? And I don't have to worry about my peace. Because you didn't give me my peace. You can't take it from me. It's from him. And if he gave it to me, you can't take it from me unless I let you. But fear is not the only thing that stands in the way. Sometimes it's just my ego, and ego always escalates. Fear elevates, and ego escalates. Because you know what? Nothing will escalate your anger like a threat to your pride. Think about how many things we engage in and the only thing is wounded is your pride. That really, you know how much peace we've disrupted simply because we're embarrassed? I am preaching, man. Y'all sitting there staring. I know, I know I'm preaching good when y'all get quiet. <laughs> and I think that's, that's at the heart of what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, after he gives these beatitudes as part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something here, and it's the, it's, I think it's most often misinterpreted or it's twisted to put us in a position that I don't think Jesus intended it to be. And I want, I want to read the entire passage, and then let's unpack it. Go to Matthew chapter 5, pick up verse 38. He says, you have, heard it, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that's a lot to kind of chew on. Come on. And I think that we've misunderstood this. Like, like Jesus, he references this Old Testament law, this Old Testament principle, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. He says, you have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Like that had become the standard. And it had gotten to the place where because of that law, people felt like any and every time somebody was offended, you had to respond with an equal offense. Like no matter what. Like that's what you had to do. No matter what they did to you, that you had to respond. And let me go ahead and tell you what I don't think Jesus is saying. I don't think Jesus is necessarily perpetuating pacifism. I don't think Jesus is saying that we should just always lay down and never stand up. I think what Jesus is really essentially saying is you need to know when, how, and why to fight. And that there are some battles that are not worth fighting. And that if you get into this place where every time you experience any kind of offense, you feel the obligation to respond, you'll always be fighting. Are you, are you with me? And I don't think Jesus was saying that we don't have the responsibility to care for ourselves and defend our families. I'm tell you right now, you come in my house threatening the life of my wife and kids, we're going to have more than a conversation. But notice what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? This is what you've heard it said, but you know, if somebody slaps you on the face, just turn the other cheek. You know why? It's just a slap. If somebody sues you for your shirt, give them a coat. You know why? It's just a shirt. If somebody tells you to walk a mile, walk two. You know why? Because it's just walking a mile. I think what he was really saying is you don't have to react to every attack. You don't have to react to every attack. Like, you don't have to let every single time that you feel offended cause you to react in such a way that you disrupt the peace. If I'm making sense, say amen. Come on. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think he's saying you got to know. He said, there's a t- I don't think Jesus is ever asking us to lay down. I think we need to know when to stand up and when to stand down. When it's worth fighting for and when it's not. And being a peacemaker, you, you, you learn to, differ, to, to know the difference between what's worth fighting for and, and what's not. I think, you know, if, if somebody slaps you in the face, you know why you slap back? It's not because you're really hurt. It's because you know that everybody just watched you get slapped in the face, and you've got to be a man. You've got to slap them back. And again, don't, don't misunderstand my word. I, I don't believe that Jesus was saying, like, we don't ever have, we, we never have moments when we have to defend ourselves and we have to take a stand and we have to stand up for what's right. I don't believe that at all. But I also think, and not only you don't have to react to every attack, but the response must be worthy of the ref- offense. The response must be worthy of the offense. Because it had gotten to the point where an eye for an eye became, you take my eye, I take your limbs. It was no longer eye for an eye. It was just about retribution and revenge. And it wasn't about justice. And I think we've gotten to this place, even as people of God, we've allowed every single thing to get under our skin. And it's almost we've gotten to this mode where we have to respond and we have to react. 
Like if people disagree with us or people believe different than us, like we just go on the offensive and we just attack, attack, attack. And no wonder we're not seeing any resolution and all we're doing is disturbing peace. We're not winning people to Jesus. We're just creating chaos. I don't understand how we got to this place where if you disagree with me, somehow I see that as you hating me. And we can't have dialogue and talk to people that look different than us or believe different than us and engage people with conversation. Are we so insecure in our faith we can't engage other people with different beliefs? Amen. And all we've done is just, I think you're saying, like you, I think it goes back, like you want to win them over? You want to bring them to the truth? Like there's a way you do it and a way that you don't. And feeling the urge to react to every little thing with anger. And it's not just that we're reacting, it's the way that we're reacting. Man, I'm telling you, some of the, like, I can't, I can't, and I know this is not a message about social media, but I can't do Facebook anymore. Just the way that people are going at it, even over, like, it's about to be basketball season. Watch Duke and Carolina fans go at each other. Y'all think I'm being silly, but it's ridiculous. Like, people, people are losing friends. And it's just Duke and Carolina. It's not like it's Clemson. I don't even know what's wrong with y'all. I think, I think God's looking down at us and watching the way that we've gotten caught up in the current wave of culture. And we've gotten so consumed with this affiliation and that affiliation and this position and that position and arguing and going at it and just so... And I think God, God wants us to have convictions and God wants us to have principles and God wants us to stand on those things. But how and when and where that we stand, it matters. And I think God wants to do more than just make a point. I think he wants us to make a difference. I think he wants us to be peacemakers. Not pot stirrers. And I just want you to wrestle with that question today. Which best describes you right now? Potster or peacemaker? And there's going to be a lot that we need to talk about over the next few weeks about what God needs to do in your heart because before you can be a peacemaker, you have to be at peace. But what I need you to know is that this is... Forget everything I've said. And just over the next seven days, wrestle with the passage of Scripture I've referenced today. Let God's word stand alone. I really could have got up here. I should have just got up here and just read the Bible and been done. Because you cannot look at things like Matthew 5 and 2 Timothy 2 and it not cause you to examine your behavior. You bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I think God is a God of peace. I think one of the most beautiful titles that Isaiah told us Jesus would carry would be Prince of Peace. Everything that is associated with our God is a call to peace. And if we're going to commit to following Him and putting Him priority and being obedient to what He has for us, we have to adopt that title of peacemaker. Is that who we really are? the way that, that, that you and I are living and the way that we're conducting ourselves in every arena of life, is it doing more to create peace? 
to build the peace that God says this world desperately needs. This world is ugly enough at times without us making it uglier with the way that we react and respond to things that come our way. And would you begin to just make the desire of your life to let God do a work in you that allows you to do a work in this world? I think maybe it starts with taking your eyes off the ugliness of the world and on the beauty of our God. See, if you keep staring at the world, if you keep staring at all the information and all the news and all the things that are bombarding you and you let that, that consume you, the ugliness will get the best of you and you will not be the peacemaker he's called you to be. So as we finish today, I want to divert your eyes to the beauty of our God and remind you that in his power and strength, you can be the peacemaker he's called you to be. Father, I pray that you would speak throughout this room today, God, that you would challenge us, that you would stretch us, that you would give us the courage to examine our lives. And God, I don't think you want us to be stirring the pot, making it worse. I think you want us to be peacemakers. And God, I pray that you would give us the strength and power we need to do that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.